by volunteering, um, it, it opens the world up. It opens lots of opportunities. And I think on the balance, you get a lot more out of it than you put into it. Welcome to the Failover Plan Podcast. I'm Shane Matthew. No matter what type of employment you're in, whether it's one requiring physical skills or a position requiring the highest level of education and experience, there are almost certainly one or more professional organizations you're qualified to be a member of. The origins of such organizations are lost in the midst of time, but certainly they owe much to the medieval guilds of stonemasons, carpenters, and other artisans that were widespread in the Middle Ages. These early forms of professional organizations were created to safeguard the secrets of their disciplines from the uninitiated, thus helping to provide job security, provide a resource for members facing hard times, and ensure that the quality of work they produced met the highest standards. The goals of professional organizations these days are essentially the same as in the past, with the exception of guarding esoteric trade secrets. And to tell you the truth, if some of the professional groups I'm a part of today had a secret handshake, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But the reality is that a primary purpose of today's industry groups are to provide a venue for members to communicate and network with each other. Now a secondary goal focuses upon the oversight and regulation of professional standards and practices with the public interest in mind. And that usually takes place through the participation in that association's governing board, committees, mentoring, consulting groups. A member in this capacity can have considerable influence on the development and direction of their profession. This is the focus of the episode of the podcast today. We're talking with Michael Kroymans, the Global Resilience Officer of Signify, which is previously known as Philips Lighting. His current focus is establishing and implementing the Global Resilience Program, which focuses on improving the maturity of business continuity and crisis and major incident management within his organization. However, he's also known for his considerable efforts in building the business continuity professional practices through his volunteering. He's served in a position with the Business Continuity Institute for several years at the local and international levels, culminating in a position as one of their directors. Michael has also actively participated in the development of the International Standards Organization's Business Continuity Standards, otherwise known as ISO 22301. So I've invited Michael to discuss his involvement in both groups and how this volunteerism has impacted his actual practices within his professional life. As always, we're excited to have you join the podcast this week. You can find out more about the show by visiting our website, failoverpodcast.com, or joining our LinkedIn page. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, well, welcome to the show, Michael Kroymans. I'm so excited for you to be here today. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here, Shane. We've talked about this a long time, and now it's actually happening, so I'm excited as well. Right. Yeah. So Michael and I have talked, oh man, we've known each other for about two years now. It seems. Yeah. <laughs> we've uh, been working on some things uh, together and this is the first first uh, opportunity we've had to just have a conversation for the listeners of the Failover Plan podcast. So again, I'm excited to hear. So Michael, why don't you uh, tell our group a little bit about yourself and uh, you know how you got started in the industry? Because I think everybody's stories uh, especially in, in our age range, t- it tends to be an interesting one. It's never a straight path, but I'm curious about yours. How did you get into this field? Well, it's interesting you say that because I hear lots of people with lots of uh, backgrounds in business continuity. I think, yeah, how did that ever happen? But to, to go back to your question, um, I, I, I guess I, I want to start a little bit about uh, myself because people are always struggling, you know, what accents 
happening here. <laughs> and I, was, I, was, I was born in New Zealand uh, and um, I moved to Australia, uh, spent three years in Australia uh, and then went to the UK for a year and then uh, I've been in the Netherlands for the last uh, 30 or so years. Um, so, you know, I speak a lot of Dutch, but uh, I'm lucky enough to work for a company that I can speak uh, English in. So, uh, you know, there's a bit of everything in, in the accent. But um, yeah, your question, how did I start in this? Uh, when I moved to Australia, I started working with tandem computers. And, um, you know, tandem is just like the bike. They were uh, you know, two people. Uh, if one person gets sick or something happens, whatever, the other person can keep pedaling. And that was the whole concept. Uh, of the architecture behind the tandem computers. And of course they were, because they were highly reliable, highly uh, available, they were used for mission critical uh, applications, banks, for example, stock exchanges, etc. And I, I, I worked on tandem for a long time in various roles and went right through to, um, to uh, the UK and also in the Netherlands and started there. But after a while, I started looking a little bit further, you know, where were they being uh, deployed? And I was lucky enough to start getting a little bit more involved in uh, business continuity and actually got a few assignments that were just purely from the business. They weren't IT related, they're pure business continuity. So that uh, that really got me going. And I've been on business continuity and IT continuity for a while since then. And uh, just over two years ago, I made the switch from being a consultant to actually uh, working for a company, a big multinational. Uh, Signify, which some people might still know as Philips Lighting, and um, I'm now Global Resilience Officer. And, uh, I'm really pleased that it's resilience because, um, you know, we've discussed this before. I think yeah, business continuity does a lot and uh, really helps a lot, but I don't think it's the complete answer. So being able to um, work as a resilience officer rather than a business continuity officer gives me more room to 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 help work on a much bigger and broader program that actually gets closer, I think, to meeting some of the objectives that we want. So so did you uh, look for the resilience officer in the title to understand how they approach it, or did, they, did you help frame that up for your for your current role? I mean, I'm always looking at the boundaries of what we're doing, and the, 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 the move to resilience is something that's been, been happening for a while, so it wasn't new to me, but uh, it was a, um, it was a uh, job offering. Um, and then we, I was keeping my ears and eyes open. You know, you never know when there's a great opportunity come by. And yeah. uh, someone said, you know, this is what we're looking for. So I, start, I, I um, got into it and looked at what the company was doing. And I thought, you know, th this is a good time and a good opportunity to make a switch. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, that's your that's your day job. Yeah. <laughs> as we call it in the States. But then uh, Michael moonlights a little bit also. <laughs> He's quite involved in various industry organizations uh, and efforts uh, around the globe. So, Michael, one in particular is Business Continuity Institute. So you've been involved quite extensively. Tell us a little bit about that role that you uh, hold currently and, and how you started to get engaged with BCI. This is not a, a typical story, but, uh, you know, uh, of involvement, but you've obviously... Uh, done quite a lot so what's that what how did that happen um i mean i i like to get involved in events uh and, and share knowledge and you know even in my it time as a as um, a specialist on tandem i was presenting at uh, 
uh, international tandem user groups. And it sort of kindled my interest in you know, being able to share your knowledge with um, um, people outside your own company, people outside the, 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 the small area that you might have daily contact with. And not only that, it's not just sharing your knowledge, but you also get a lot of knowledge and building up those networks is something that um, you know, I found quite valuable then and that we're talking a long time ago. So when um, I started going to some of the um, business continuity management events here in the Netherlands, uh, I started talking to some of the organizers and that was a stepping stone into, um, you know, because always, we're always looking for volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, you know, why, why, why don't you help? And, you know, that, right. that was, uh, I think that's uh, what did the damage. So, yeah, as a result of that, I um, I got, got involved with helping a local initiative to, to uh, set up uh, business continuity management. And I think they were a little bit BCI related that stage. It was a, that link wasn't always completely clear uh, to help set up events. Uh, and then uh, one of my colleagues in uh, Belgium uh, was quite keen to set up a chapter for um, the Belgium Netherlands area. So he approached me and I thought that was a good idea. So we worked together. We set up the, uh, the Belgium Netherlands chapter. Um, and after that, it sort of uh, things died down a little bit in the Netherlands. So I, I, set, I set up or helped set up the, um, the Netherlands. Um, well, it was a forum at that stage and um just got people together and started building on that um, when you say month, forming, yeah. did it start as kind of just more of a informal network and then transform into an actual chapter of bci or i mean like how do you find people within uh, that community that may be interested in in doing this yeah it's i mean you i think you you I mean, when, when there's nothing there, you've got to start with what you've got. And that's, um, you know, just starting to do things and, and calling upon uh, people that are willing to help, you know, maybe yeah. to, to provide a venue or some speakers, um, you know, people that have got an interesting story to tell and just put the word out there. And, you know, the, the BCI was facilitating stuff, so we could use their facilities to, 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 to spread the, the message. We had our own um, network, then names, and then it was also, it wasn't like I was starting with scratch. I was building on, on what was already there, the BC Cafe. Mm. Uh, and what uh, what had been processed to that was there was something that Job Franken had set up for uh, the BCI. But you sort of, you see these transitions. So it, was, it wasn't like I was doing it from scratch. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you moved obviously from the chapter level to now you're at the global level, the global board. I'm so is that an easy transition or does that require some some campaigning or activity on your part to get to that point? I mean, we're not, we're not allowed to campaign for these uh, for the board. Um, really? No. Well, I mean, wow, we, it's just, just based on your good looks, then I, I would imagine. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't even think there was a picture in there, but there's <laughs> no, uh, just, it's, it's I mean, there's been there's been a lot of changes at the BCI um, when I was. When I was in the in the board of the local chapter, the the Belgium Netherlands chapter, at that stage it was a, what was called the Global Membership Council at the Business Continuity Institute, and there was uh, representatives from the different chapters, uh, one per chapter, and their role was <clears throat> to support the BCI central office, but also to to represent the members, if you like. Um, so 
I said, yeah, I'd like to join that. It sounded quite cool. And um, I think I was there for a few months, had a few meetings, and then there was elections for the next uh, for the next um, vice uh, chair of the um, Global Membership Council. And I thought, I haven't been here that long. But then uh, the guy called me up and said, listen, you know, you know, I think you'd be able to do a good job. And I said, yeah, I've only been there for a little while. I said, that doesn't make any difference. So <laughs> I took I took the position. Right. And um, at that stage, the, the, the chair of the um, of the Global Membership Council went straight through to the to the um, to the board uh, once it finished their term, once it was an expert and necessary. But we've made a lot of changes with. with I mean, it was just the people in the Global Membership Council that voted for the uh, for who went onto the board. We've since made a lot of changes with um, uh, all the volunteers that have been involved as a volunteer in the in the Business Comedy Institute as, as as an awards judge or as a an assessor or as a, a chapter uh, lead member, uh, just to name a few. They or people that run the special interest group. Uh, they they are all end up let me do that for you. They're all eligible to uh, to nominate themselves for a position in the board, and they're also the people that vote for the board. So the process has become a lot more democratic. We've had some we've had some hiccups along the way, but I think the process is a lot better, and we get a much better pool of people and a much better right. uh, representation on the board now. Right. Well, yeah, you know, and I, we, we just had an interview with uh, Luke Bird. Yes, uh, yes, sir. I and, saw and that. So that was that was it was good to get to know him and understand his involvement in the in the group. So, yeah, you're getting definitely a diverse grouping of of individuals on that team. So, you know, if you didn't have enough time in the day, you decided to add some additional responsibilities to your plate. So so I heard that you also are involved in ISO. And that's that's just a small additional activity that you're involved in. But but if many don't know, ISO 22301, which is a cornerstone standard for business continuity industry, uh, there is a group of individuals that uh, have developed it and cultivated it and improve upon it on a regular basis. And, and Michael, you happen to be one of those uh, individuals. So how did you get involved in ISO on top of all the other things you're doing? Well, I... I... Yeah, one of the things we discussed about this uh, this podcast, uh, Shane, is that by volunteering, um, it it opens the world up. It opens lots of opportunities, and I think on the balance, you get a lot more out of it than you put into it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, by being involved in in the um, the local um, forum at that stage, you get known um, within the NEN, which is the Dutch. Uh, local standards organization or st standards company that um, you know was aligned to iso um they they had a mirror group for crisis management and well, sorry it was business continuity at that point crisis management came later and they were looking for people to join that group so they, they had a number of people from the from the industry but they wanted somebody from the uh the professional body so mm. again you know i was the person that was um uh was a logical candidate and it seemed like a really cool thing to do and i'm really pleased i did it so i joined them and you know, we, we've gotten involved in the uh the different standards you know on one hand we we get copies and we review them and but what's been a real eye-opener has been able to has been going to the um the the review sessions like uh when we have the the meetings uh, mm -hmm. once a year and actually going there so the first one was in sydney a few years ago 
doing the review of all the comments that we got in for 22301. And, you know, then I, I think if, you, if you're just sitting at home reading the draft of the standard and putting your comments in, um, it, it's very much a one-way street. But when you get involved in processing the comments with a group of experts, it, it, you yeah. know, a whole new world goes open. Uh, you're you're there with people. You know, there are the people in the group that know how every sentence got in there, all the discussions that have been involved right. in defining right. the sentence. Yeah, and a lot of practitioners. So when you're discussing it, you're 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 consolidating your own knowledge, but you're getting new knowledge that other people are, um, are imparting because of their experiences. And you know, sometimes you can discuss one word or one concept for half a day and sometimes you know you can get very quickly <laughs> but it's it gives you a profound understanding of the standard and how to apply it and what it means right. and what's intended which is which is right. just something you can't get from reading it right well no, it's interesting to hear this perspective of someone who's actually involved in these types of activities that influence many practitioners uh, across the globe and, and that there's a great deal of thought and energy put into this development. It's not just a, well, you know, we need to change the sentences here. <laughs> it's amazing to hear that you would investigate to, to or a debate to that level of context, but I would imagine well, an that example is, you know, do we, do we have strategies or do we have solutions? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, that's gone backwards and forth quite a lot, but you know, in wow. the end we decided it's got to be based on the strategy and the uh, implementation of that uh, solution. So when your solutions uh, aren't working, you can fall back on the strategy to work out what an alternative might be. Right. So, but, you know, something like that, that's, that's gone backwards and forth quite a few times. Has it ever got a heated debate or, 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 or uh, you know, confl conflicts within that sort of stuff or is it resolved? I know. I think that that's it's a good point, Shane. I mean, you would think sometimes. I mean, not everybody gets their own way all the time, and yeah. with a group of experts around the whole world who have got different experiences, have got different legislations, uh, different organisations, it's it's really good to see how much effort goes into processing each of the comments and giving everybody a fair opportunity to uh, defend the comments that they made, so that we all understand it. But it is a democracy, and sometimes, I mean, you will need to make a decision, and it's based on consensus. So, you know, not everybody gets everything they want all of the time. But I think the result is is a very fair and also a process, and also it, it ends up with a great result. And that's a standard that, um, you know, it's, it's been built by the contributions of lots and lots of people, because not just the people that are attending, but all of their groups that are still at home that have provided input. Uh, so it's a lot of people working on it. Right. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit here and, and focus in on the fact that you are obviously an established leader, meaning you know, you're involved in these organizations, you're involved in, in even the development of ISO standards, which, I mean, personally, I look at ISO standards as kind of like, wow, that's, that's a hard hard standard to attain in a lot of ways or challenging at least. So it's kind of looking at it as the gold standard to, in, in my opinion. Um, so you're involved in all these things, uh, but in particular with BCI, you know, they have their professional practices. They also recommend, how do you actually apply these? As someone like you who have been exposed and involved in, in various groups like this, 
you know, what's what's your approach to implementing, you know, these practices, particularly with BCI, for example, you know, in the organizations that you you've worked for, you're you're also a practitioner. So how do you make all this work together? Yeah, it's, there's no simple answer that I think. Um, I, I, you know, as a consultant, I've worked on a lot of different companies. The thing is, um, you know, unless you're an organization where 22301 certification is mandated, it's, very, it, it's not always an option to come straight and say, okay, I'm going to um, implement 22301. Mm. Um, right. The thinking of the organization, where the organization's at, what their priorities are, uh, often dictate what it is that you can start with. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's always trying to find out what the motivation is. I, I, for me, the motivation of the organization is essential. And we quite often say, you know, the management buy-in, what is it the management want? Why do they want to do this? And in some organizations, I've found that it's been a struggle to find that. It's, yeah, we want continuity, but when you start explaining what that means, um, they may not want, you know, to, to go into the whole formal program. Um, so, again, it's it's a big part of getting started is getting the buy-in, getting, the, um, getting them to understand what the value is. Because right. they need to commit resources. It's it's you know, um, it's not my program. It's not my business continuity. It's the business continuity, and they right. need to own it. And me helping them write plans and everything. If they don't, uh, um, word, um, they don't. Um, if they don't use them and don't own them, um, you know, as soon as I'm gone. <laughs> that plane goes <laughs> on the shelf and it stays here and nothing happens. Yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a commonality many of us face is that uh, programs die off. Uh, if it's entirely dependent upon the uh, program leader to 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 uh, you know put, carry it forward and they leave or or they they change their roles, then yeah, sometimes we see that. Yeah. So buy-in is is absolutely important whenever you're trying to. And I think what I mean, there's quite a, a few tricks. I think one of the things that I always like to do is try and get an exercise done as quickly as possible because that helps mm-hmm. people understand, you know, where their capabilities are. I mean, quite often I hear, you know, we're really good at fixing things when they happen. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you know, <laughs> so you know, trying to understand what things might happen and then plan an exercise, get them to get a reality check as to you know what might happen and get them to ask if their level of preparedness is acceptable or not. And that that's a good one. Um, another thing that I toy with from time to time is, you know, uh, I think a lot of us strive to perfection. You know, we, we want the beer to be perfect. We want the, the plans to be perfect. And they need to be. I mean, on one hand, we want to guarantee or as get as close to guaranteeing as possible that everything will work. Um, but by doing that, I think you're taking – you easily take quite a bit of the responsibility upon yourself rather than leaving it in the team. So, you know, sometimes I think, you know, where I'm a lot more in the lead and rather than, you know, and having to, um, and not having the, the team give that much input, I think, you know, it's good not to make it perfect because when they start exercising, say, hey, this is not right, that's not right, hey, I need this, or have, have we thought about that? And then they start 
then becomes theirs. And I think that's the thing that we need to achieve. I mean, I prefer not to do it that way, but if that's, you know, that, that is something that I sometimes consider. So, and, and are these, you know, had, had this all come from just your, your involvement in these industry bodies that kind of provide this guidance or is this based on your experience plus the guidance? Like how do you, how do you interwine all these different things and, and maybe tie it together? I think it's, 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 it's a combination of everything. Um, what, what's happening is, um, you know, by being involved in, um, in ISO, being involved in the BCI, I'm building up a great network. You know, I, I'm needing new speakers for, for um, events. I see something in the paper. I see something on LinkedIn. I think, hey, this is really interesting. So I, I get in contact with the person and speak to them and, you know, ask whether they're prepared to speak. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they're more than happy to help. Um, you know, having access to the experts, uh, at, you know, within the BCI network with all, and also within the ISO network, um, it gives you an opportunity to challenge your ideas, to also to hear what they're doing, how they're tackling problems. Um, I think, and it's also, you know, my own... I think insight, curiosity, continual critical thinking, if you like, you know, I'm seeing problems and I think, you know, how do we, how do we tackle that? You know, I mean, I can, I can pick up the book and say, we need to do this and this. And I'm thinking, yeah, but that, that might not fit the way I wanted to. Is this the right thing to do? So I don't, I think answer to your question, I don't pick up a stand and say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I don't pick up the good practice guide and say, we're going to do, um, this and then the next professional practice and next professional practice. I keep both of them very much in my mind and I make sure that when I'm working on, on these programs that um, they that I am utilizing the best practices from uh, the good from the good practice guide. And also I'm making sure that even though the, the company that I'm working for may not be interested in being certified, that at some stage if they do decide that it's I don't we don't have to throw away what we already have, but we we can ramp it up a bit, you know, make it a little bit more formalized and then tick all the boxes. So the answer to your question is I use I really do use the um, the ISO framework and also the good practice framework. They're always very much in the back of my mind when I'm doing things. But I also try and apply it to the situation I'm dealing with. So in your experience in in in, in this type of approach. Which I I wholeheartedly agree with. I think it's it's very, uh, in, you know, intelligent way to look at things. That it doesn't have to be verbatim what the book says. It it has to be focused on what the culture of the organization that you're working with is, uh, their risk appetite. Because again, it ties back to the the, the the statement you made about if I leave, if if they're not bought in, they're not going to do it after I leave. So. You know, Sometimes if you, even if you haven't left, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, you know, okay. So now that you've done, done this in this way and you've approached it in this way, you know, what, what are kind of some of the successes you've seen out of this approach, looking at these practices as a, as a kind of a guide rail, but not necessarily the, the promised land of, <laughs> of, of perfect uh, resilience. I think the flexibility, um, yeah, I, I think you really need to know 
what you're doing, you need to know what it needs to look like. Uh, and when you have a good understanding of that, I think then you can play around sometimes with um, uh, the order that you do things in, uh, the depth that you do things in. Um, you know, for example, if if you if you're really struggling with a, a part of the organization to understand what a, a an RTO should be of a process. You know, they think it's really important and then the other ones think it's not and you know and you've got your own opinion which differs again what, what i do is i say okay let's park this and i know that when we do an exercise i will make sure that that aspect gets <laughs> incorporated in, in the in the exercise and in the heat of the moment when they're doing the exercise the answer will be clear so you need to know the relationships between the different parts of what you're doing and all the different you know the digs that all the different pieces and instead of just going through, you know, we do this and then we finish that, then we do this and we finish that, it gives you a bit more flexibility to, to work with where the energy is and creating the energy and, and, and uh, building on that. Because normally your validation would go right at the end. But, you know, in some cases, if you, if you do an exercise a lot earlier in the process, it can, it can really help for the, the buy and it can really help with the understanding of what's going on. And, um, you know, make a big difference to, to, to the program. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's a great point. Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, not necessarily defining the RTO, uh, just on a whim, but also verifying it through the exercise or at least using that as the, as the mechanism for deal breakers. Cause there's a lot yeah, of those. It, it, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I do try and do the, the beer as thoroughly as possible, but right. sometimes, you'll get to a point and you think, you know, what they're saying now just doesn't make any sense. And you, you can keep <laughs> on arguing. <laughs> or you can say, okay, I mean, I don't know who's right and it doesn't matter. Let's let's try it out sometime. And when we try it out, then it'll be clear to us. And it's not yeah. a matter of who's winning or who, who's who's right. It's a matter of getting something that's going to work. Right. Okay. It just just um, some of the inspiration of, of, of this idea is um, also comes from uh, a methodology that was developed in the Netherlands called uh, Lean Business Continuity Management a number of years ago. And um, what they, their philosophy is, is that most organizations will have some continuity thinking and some continuity measures. So they don't have to start from scratch. And what they do is they uh, suggest quite early in the piece doing an exercise to understand what is in place and where the gaps are. And then following the program for doing that. I, I must say that um, I've seen this used, and it's, it's, it's gotten quite a lot of uh, followers. A lot of people like the practical approach and the pragmatic approach, uh, but um, I've seen it being used also as instruction books for students. And I'm thinking, you know, the problem I have with that is that I think to be able to apply this properly, you need to understand the full picture, which means you need a good understanding of at least a good practice guide and or the standard to have your framework, because then you know what you are trying to achieve. And this is just gives you uh, options for playing with the order and doing it in a different order than you might normally do. So, but I think you need that big picture in the back of your mind. Otherwise, yeah. you, you're doing things and not understanding how the different puzzle pieces fit into interlock and how they ah, fit together. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, it's just you know you you mentioned some of the younger professionals and and what they're what they may have been experiencing in in their learning of this. So, someone who's been doing this for a long time now, 
you know, what, what's some of the hurdles that you've faced uh, as you've implemented programs that maybe young, younger practitioners may benefit from learning uh, about, about? I still think one of the biggest things is uh, actually getting the management buy-in, um, getting them to understand the importance of the program, understand the limitations of it. I mean, I think quite often we promise them the whole world, and I don't think that that's realistic. And that's why I'm pleased with uh, organizational resilience is that I think that business continuity plays a part in that. But what we're trying to achieve is higher than just business continuity. Um, so trying to get management buy-in, that, that that can make or break your program. I mean, I've quite a few times I've started without it and think it'll come, it'll come. And in a few cases, it's not come. And that has meant that, you know, you, you're doing stuff and you're plotting away, you're getting some people enthusiastic, uh, but you're just not getting the buy-in from top management. So you're not getting the commitment, the resources, the recognition um, that it, that you really need to keep the program alive. I've seen lots of other things like um, business continuity management is IT continuity or uh, DR. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? We're still Jay? we're still struggling with that. It's been, it's been thirty you, well, years. Actually, I, I, as, as, I mean, when I was working as a consultant, it was an IT company, so I was confronted with that quite often. You can actually turn yeah. it around. And what what's okay. nice is, yeah, you know, if you come in, if I come into an organization and, and they say, yeah, we need uh, to do the DR, and I say, okay, it's good, right? So what 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 are you trying to achieve? Yeah, well, these systems have to come up. Okay, how do you know it's those systems, and how quickly do they have to come up? Mm, yeah. And it's always think it's this, we think so. that's good that you think that, but what does the business need? Right. And then I normally I'm quite accurate in saying that I, I, I would I would be surprised if the business really know as well. So then you can usually get an opportunity to to um, perform business impact analysis with the business. And then you're starting to get a much better relationship between the business processes and what the business needs and the IT that supports that. So, you know, quite often you think, oh, man, you know, we're starting off with IT and they think that's business continuity. But it's, it's a great opportunity because they're, they're trying to understand or they, they see the need for the IT continuity. So the, the trick is to align that with the business needs and get a, a, get a good relationship between those two. I think another big issue and i think it's not just business continuity or business continuity programs but this idea of collaboration you know working with risk management working with it security uh, working with health and safety um working with risk management working with crisis management i think we all have our own ideas on how we should do it and there are differences there is a lot of overlap and there are quite a few differences and trying to align those disciplines and those groups with an organization all with their own agenda all with their own power all with their own way of doing things own with it also with their own the security of knowing how to do something and it's not being challenged makes it difficult and i think that um for a good business continuity program or at least the result that you want and that is that you know you can um you, that you're more resilient, that you can prevent things from going wrong. And if they do go wrong, you can contain them. And when they do go wrong, you can see them very quickly, that you can uh, come back to a, an acceptable level and then go back to, well, business as usual, yeah. a new state. 
um, you need to work with other departments and you know you can have the best business continuity program but it's 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 never going to work really well unless you've got your emergency response team where you've got your health and safety people with you. you've got you know if, if you've got a computer um, uh, security breach you know these teams need to work together and I think this is the biggest challenge at the moment but I think it's going to give us the biggest rewards if we can get those departments to work together a little bit better uh, collaborate much better, use the same set of information so we've got one set of truth for the organization so it's not like IT have got their uh, CIA analysis and we've got our beer and risk management's got their own uh, analysis of risks and, uh, and risk appetite and that they're all different because we've all mm -hmm. talked to different people. We've got the same set of parameters that we're working within the organization. Um, we know that when something goes wrong, who does what? And we know that when that goes wrong, we will have an effective and, and a, um, an efficient uh, response. Yeah. So, you know, from a practical perspective, I mean, you know, from a strategic perspective, I 100% agree. Um, but have but. you ever had to, you know, no, 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 <laughs> there's no but. <laughs> there is a but. I can but, maybe, a but, okay, but maybe there's a but. <laughs> but how, how have you actually started that role? I mean, like that process, because... You know, there's there's oftentimes uh, the scenario in which a BC practitioner comes into the organization, and and maybe maybe that collaboration hasn't been uh, inspired by others in the, in the organization in these other segments. So you may be the person that has to start the ball rolling. Yeah. You know, so have you ever had to be in that position where you've been the one who broken down the barriers, and how do you have you done that? I still don't know all the answers, and it, it, it's work in progress. And that, I mean, that's, that's, oh, sorry, there's a sidestep. This is, this is nice also by having your network and being involved in different things. You, I mean, if you want, if you think that something might work in your organization, you can set up a workshop with the BCI in one of the forum evenings, you know, and try it out, get other people to think with you. You yeah. know, so by getting involved as a volunteer, uh, you create so many opportunities to, you know, to, to share information, to, to try things out, uh, get other insights, and then incorporate them into the work that you're doing. Um, getting back to your question, I think what was important is to, to find a model that encompasses uh, the resilience. And uh, I use two of them. One, one is from a supply chain uh, um, resilience model, and another one is the NIST cybersecurity uh, model. And I think both of those help demonstrate what it is you're trying to do. And then it's then you can go to the different departments and say, hey, listen, you, you've got a big part to play here. or if You've got a part to play there and you know, we can contribute there. So trying to build the understanding of how it could fit together is a starting point. Um, yeah. I know I, I built a matrix and, and uh, said, okay, for respond, we've got this, this team there and this team there. And for uh -huh. identify, we've got this team. And I, I took the first, the first, the first group I talked to. They said, "You know, I like what you're saying, but you've got it wrong." And I said, "How?" And they said, "What you are missing is that each team is involved in a in a lesser or a greater extent at each of those ah. parts of the process." Ah. So um, that was an eye opener. But you know, trying to work out how to collaborate, I think, as organisations become leaner, people have to do more in the time that they have. There is less time for them to, to make some changes or to 
uh, entertain new ideas. Uh, it becomes uncertain for them. You know, they know what they have to do. They know how to do it. They know how they get to, how they are accountable. And then someone comes along with a new idea and wants to change it. It's it's right. that's that's still uh, like I said, work in progress to understand how to do that. Yeah, and so yeah, that's really insightful. I appreciate you uh, bearing with me and as I brought up that, but. <laughs> Yeah, so let, let's 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 end by I, I think there's a lot of people who like the idea of getting involved in organizations like you have. We obviously see the benefits through your career, uh, you know. But what would be kind of the first step? Many people, an easy step that professionals could take if 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 they wanted to to kind of dip their toes in and and, and uh, start to get in, involved in organizations like BCI and and you know others like it yeah i think that the simple thing is um uh, get in touch with your local chapter i mean there's quite a few organizations you know uh bci is just one of them that represent business continuity management um you can find them quite easily on the internet get in touch with them get involved in their meetings and volunteer to help and i think them always be happy to have people come and help and you can find where, what you're comfortable with, you know, and that might be just helping organize something. Uh, it might be uh, facilitating a panel discussion. It might be presenting. It might be facilitating a workshop. You know, it might be writing an article, maybe helping with some research or an interview. So there's lots of different ways. And it's, it's a great opportunity to get out of your comfort zone. And it's a great opportunity to develop skills yeah. that you might not get the opportunity for at work. I mean, in my, in, you know, certainly when I was a consultant, you know, saying, oh, I want to run a team or I want to do this, I didn't get the opportunity. But within the BCI, I got that opportunity. And, you know, the thing is, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Your, your boss is not going to say, <laughs> hey, you messed up there and, you know, you're going down the grade. <laughs> So yeah. you're saying you could you could screw up royally in the BC? <laughs> no, I, you always got to be careful of your reputation. Yeah, you know? I mean you're out there and people are seeing you. So right, you know, right, right, right. I mean it's 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 not. But it gives you opportunities not, you may not have. That, yeah, that's it's definitely exactly. a possibility. I mean, and the thing is, you know, find you know get people to help you. Don't just say, oh, all right, thanks. I'm going to write a presentation. I'm going to present it next week. You know, get yeah. people to help you. You know, find out what you're comfortable with. Find out what you're not comfortable with. Push the envelope and get people to help you. And as I was saying, the people that are involved in in ISO and and um, and the people running these uh, chapters and forums and that the people that are quite happy to help and to give. So don't be afraid of asking them for help. Ask them for tips. They've been there. Yeah, I agree. Well, Michael, thank you so much for providing your insight about your career and how you've applied practices and, and your ISO work and volunteerism to improve your programs. It's definitely uh, something I, I advocate for and encourage amongst our listeners, but it's really cool to hear a story of someone who's, who's actually done it. So thanks again for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Failover Plan Podcast. You can find out more about Michael Croymans by visiting our website, failoverpodcast.com. There you'll find several links that Michael wanted to share with our listeners. This week, join our LinkedIn group. You can find us by going to linkedin.com slash company slash failoverpodcast. 
Thanks again for listening, and remember, why learn how to do something on your own when there's got to be someone else who may have already learned this the hard way?